Um, tonight, I think we're going to conclude on the um, Fulfilled series, but I've been really, really, really challenged. Not just really challenged, but really, really, really challenged about what satisfies me. Because I don't know about you, but when I read scriptures like John 10.10, 10, and, you know, it talks about the devil being like a thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus has come that we may have life and life to the full, not life so we can live like a fool. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm talking about. This is how God talks to me. It's like, Kathy, don't be a fool. F-O-O-L. I've come that you will have full life. F-U-L-L. He wants us to be satisfied by Him and Him alone. You know, the challenge is when you've been a Christian for 28 years, like myself, every day I've got to bring my heart before him and say, thank you, God, that your mercies are new. They're not old every morning, but they're new every morning. And I was reading about this amazing guy called Esau. It's E-S-A-U, not Esau like I saw. But uh, he was a twin. I don't know how many twins in this place, but he was a twin And uh, God said to his mother, Rebecca, when she was pregnant with these twin boys, there are two nations living in you. When I look at that, I think, two nations? I thought there were two babies. But when God looks at you, he doesn't just look at you, but he looks at the legacy and the people that you're going to influence. So two nations, I thought that was really interesting that God had said that to her womb. Like, you've got two nations living inside of you, and uh, the older will serve the younger. And in Hebrews 12, 14 to 17, now this is from the message version. It talks about the Esau syndrome. And I'll just read it out quickly because I didn't give it to the team, but uh, they're all laughing. Ha, 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 Yeah, but really, yeah, they're like, Kathy should have given it to us anyway. Okay, so it says, work at getting along with each other and with God. So, you know, it's cool if our relationships are good here, but if your relationship with God is not good, that's not cool. And even so, if your relationships aren't good on here, but you're good with God, it's the same. Otherwise, you'll never get so much as a glimpse of God. Whoa, that's a warning. Make sure no one gets left out of God's generosity. That's where Heart Week is awesome. Keep a sharp eye out for weeds of bitter discontent. A thistle or two gone to, gone to seed can ruin a whole garden in no time. Um, yeah, I'm really embarrassed about our garden. It's like, it's more weeds than plant, well, other beautiful plants. We live on a street where our neighbours... They manicure the grass, and, uh, and then you look at our house, and it's like, you know, you need variety. You can't have everything beautiful, you know? We keep it real with the weeds. Anyway, watch out for the Esau syndrome, trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. Oh, that's really convicting. You well know how Esau later regretted that impulsive act and wanted God's blessing, but by then it was too late, tears or no tears. 
I love that version, the message, because I think, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what happened. Um, we do this Daniel fast, and I always mention KFC, you know, as a joke, and, um, and I thought I need to practice what I preach. Um, so every time I, I want to use an illustration about food, I always talk about KFC, and if you know me, you go, oh, yeah, she always goes on about KFC. But if you could bring it to the stage. Oh, don't worry, I'm not going to ask for volunteers. But uh, here's a bucket of KFC. And Esau was an interesting character because, uh, not a character, a person, because he was real. Anyway, so Esau... He was the eldest brother, the oldest brother, and so um, he had a thing called a birthright. So a birthright was uh, included special privileges. So that was he would get a double portion, um, he was responsible, he was blessed. And so um, in Genesis, it talks about in Genesis 25 that he didn't really care, or he was quite apathetic about um, his birthright, like, you know, oh yeah, that's really cool, who cares, and so Esau went hunting, he was like the, the hunting brother, the muscly one, then there was Jacob, and Jacob was the hairless one, um, yeah, and he was like the mama's boy, but um, one day Jacob, very sneaky, if you look back at the meaning of his name, it means sneaky or supplanter or, you know, deceiver. Uh, he, he wanted his brother's birthright because he saw value in it. But you see, Esau didn't see value in, in his blessing or his birthright. And when I think about that, I think how often in life I've been like that. Because there's something sacred about our faith in Jesus I've been blessed for 28 years knowing Jesus. And sometimes I think, man, God, have I been a little bit ungrateful? You know, it's Thanksgiving Sunday. And I think, you know, what are the traits of ungrateful people? And uh, one of the traits, these are the thoughts and actions of ungrateful people. They never feel satisfied. And so Esau, he was tired and he was hungry. He came back from his hunting trip, and his brother Jacob, can you picture this? He had his lentil stew, which really cracks me up, because I think, you know, these days, maybe if you're a vegan, that would be really delicious. But to me, I couldn't relate to it. I'm like, he sold his birthright for lentil stew. You know, if I've been fasting for a long time, like say, you know, 60 minutes, and uh, someone offered me KFC, but they said, oh, you can only do it if you give me your wedding ring. Is that a hard decision? <laughs> this means a lot to me. I made a commitment with this ring. No, not this ring, this one. Oh, wrong finger. See? That's what Esau did. He forgot which finger. Anyway, so... So he sold his birthright for, let's say, KFC. KFC, people, but we're going to call it lentil stew. I was going to bring lentil stew, but I thought, you know, no one's going to get it. 
no one's going to get it. He traded his blessing, his birthright, for one single meal. And have you ever, have you ever made a really dumb decision? Have you ever made a dumb decision before? I have. The best decision was giving my heart to Jesus and marrying Sam. <laughs> 10 points, 10 points. That was really good. Appreciate what you have. Appreciate what you have. You know, sometimes we, we get a little bit too familiar. We go, oh, yeah, I'll get the ring back. I'll just, you know, ask for the ring back after I have the single meal. Do you know what happened? It says in Hebrews that after that, it says that Esau regretted his decision. What are we trading our inheritance, our blessing what does this represent to you? Maybe it's your virginity. There was one girl I know, I just read in, a, in the paper that she was selling her virginity online so she could, I can't remember, study or something. I just think, what is this world, you know, what's happening with this world? I just think, how can you trade what is sacred for that one thing? Now, this isn't going to be a message where everyone's going to be like, oh, man, I just feel so guilty. No, 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 no. I'm speaking to myself. Because sometimes when you're tired, like Esau was, you can make the dumbest decisions. You know, maybe you're dating, and it's, you know, past the curfew, and you're getting a bit tired, and you're like, oh, doesn't matter if we just do this. Fill in the blanks. Don't think too hard. <laughs> Purify your minds in Jesus' name anyway. But you know what I'm talking about. Dating is sacred. Especially if you know Jesus, because he's in the car with you. <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> I wish that song was out when we were dating anyway. Um, <laughs> Don't you go there anyway. But ungrateful people never feel satisfied. And it says in his word that when we hunger and thirst after righteousness, he will fill us. That is a challenge in Christianity is that we're hungry and we're content, but we're always satisfied. But you're still hungry after him, but you'll be filled you're always hungry after him. But nothing will satisfy you in this world like other than Jesus. And I'm telling you this because it's true. People like the fact that Jesus is the way and he is the life. They can't grapple with the fact that he's the truth. And sometimes the truth hurts. And I hate it when people tell me stuff that I don't want to hear. But you know what? It's helpful for me. That's where marriage is good too. Just putting a plug in for marriage. We do a thing called Mind Your Marriage if you're interested. Or if you're dating someone that's a good, you know, oh no, it's not a, anyway. Okay. We've also got divorce care, which is cool too. Just saying, I need to promote these things. I know, who's laughing? Anyway, carrying on, move on, Kathy. Proverbs 27, 20 says, just as death and destruction are never satisfied so human desire is never satisfied. 
you see, Esau didn't realize how valuable his birthright was. You know, we, we used to sing a song called, um, I'm trading my sorrow, I'm trading. Well, you know, Esau was like, I'm trading my birthright. I'm trading my blessing because I'm going to cry later because I'm so hungry. What is your lentil stew? What is the one thing you know that you lean towards when you're stressed, when you're under pressure? What is the thing that will satisfy you other than Jesus? You know, I came from a family where my father was an alcoholic before he knew Jesus. And I remember my dad would t- tell me, you know, because he, he was like, don't drink alcohol. It's bad for you. And, uh, and I remember my dad, you know, he, he would tell us these stories and he shared his full testimony with us a few years ago before he passed away. But he said, you know, I thought I was doing well in my faith. And my dad had a, a daughter that I never met. Um, because she passed away at the age of 13. But he, um, he, he gave his heart to the Lord. His daughter was 13. Uh, my mum, so she was from a previous marriage, and he said, he said to me, you know when she died? So she was in hospital in Tukaroa. She was 13 years old. Um, they didn't realise she was allergic to penicillin, and they administered penicillin to her, and she... Dad said it was probably the worst kind of grief feeling he had ever felt. And my mum, my mum said to me, oh, we just didn't want to speak of it again. Because just holding her hand, 13, helpless, passing away in the hospital. And my dad shared about that journey because he said, you know, I was so angry at God. I thought, this is your fault, God. Thanks a lot. And my parents walked away from God because they said, how could this happen? How could you do this, God? And for years, my dad started to, you know, get into alcohol. Um, My mum was just anti-church. She hated church. She didn't want to have anything to do with it. And in the late 80s, uh, in 1980, I think it was 1986 or 87, um, my dad was in a meeting, uh, like the town hall, and he gave his heart to Jesus. And I remember that moment because it was the first time I'd ever seen his guard down. And he lifted his hands in, in worship. I remember that because he would, he would tell me, you know, because I, I used to go to different events with my auntie. She would take me, and I used to think, Christians are crazy. But the moment I saw my father cry... I knew there was a God. And I remember him saying to me, Kathy, you know, when things happen, when things in life happen that are so bad, don't ever try and fill it with something else because only God can fill that void. It took my mother a longer time for her to say yes to Jesus again. But my dad would always say to me, you know, People can say alcohol, gambling, people can say money, they can say whatever they can, but only Jesus can fill that void. See, my dad traded 
when my sister died, he traded his blessing for grief, for bitterness, for unforgiveness. He was really unforgiving. But then he said yes to God in the late 80s because he knew that God was the only one that could fill that void. And you know what? Because of his decision, I said yes. My sister said yes to Jesus. And I go back to that beginning scripture about Jacob and Esau. Two nations I see in your womb. It's not just one life. We're talking about a family. We're talking about, you know, what are you believing for? Maybe you're the only one who knows Jesus in your family. Well, I want to encourage you. Think about two nations. You are a nation. You represent your family. You represent uh, your extended family, your friends. That one decision where you said yes to Jesus, it's not a light decision. It's a strong decision. And I am not ashamed of Jesus and I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you there's a nation inside of you. So that decision you've made will affect many others. So that's why in a moment of tiredness, in a moment of hunger, in a moment where you just can't be bothered, think about this illustration. Is it worth it? Maybe for an hour. You know, KFC is the kind of thing that, you know, when you eat it, you feel really gross afterwards. I don't know about you, but... I'm like, I'm so hungry, and you start eating four pieces and, you know, potato and gravy and fries, and, and you know, you're like, oh, I'm so hungry. And then after you eat it, you're just like, was it worth it? Some of you are like, yeah, it was. <laughs> but was it really worth it? I remember asking my dad, was it worth it, dad, when you walked away from God? He goes, no. He said there were many moments where I regretted walking away from him. All that time wasted. And so that's probably the reason why every time I feel tired or stressed and I'm leaning towards, oh, maybe I should just give up. Just for that single thing. Maybe I should just give up, give up on God. Maybe I should just trade in my hope, trade in my peace, for that one thing that can satisfy me for what? An hour? Two hours? Five years? What is your lentil stew or KFC? Think about it now. With this um, Fulfilled series, I've been really thinking about our family line, about different things that have gone on in our family and I think, you know, I've got an auntie who got married probably eight times. My mum said she's been married eight times. And I think about that. And she was never satisfied. And my grandfather cursed her when she was a teenager and said, you'll never be satisfied with a man. Do you know that curse became the truth? She's been married eight times. And when I think about that, I think, okay, it's my duty, my responsibility to shut the door on that. Maybe that was in the past, and our, you know, with our family. There are other things. There's like sexual stuff. 
There's, you know, different things, anger, think high blood pressure, asthma, different sicknesses. And I'm like, okay, I don't want this to be the reason why I give up on God. I don't want this to be the reason why, okay, God, I'm so angry at you. You owe me. God doesn't owe us a thing. You know, you can feel really entitled. God, you owe me. You know, the funny thing was that uh, God had said to Rebecca, this is Esau's mother, he prophesied on her and he said, there are two nations in you, the older will serve the younger. And you see, they had a funny relationship because Rebecca really favoured Jacob and uh, Esau's dad, Isaac, really favoured Esau. Yeah, <laughs> I know I had a mind blank then. But Esau could easily use that against God. He could have said, well, God, it's not my fault. We can blame shift. And that's where the ungratefulness starts, the cycle starts to set in, where we go, okay, God, you already said, you said it from the beginning that I would serve my younger brother. And God also, you know, that mother you gave me, she was really manipulative. So I have every reason to say you owe me. And this is what I would say to Esau, you chose in a moment of hunger, in a moment of tiredness, you chose lentil stew, lentil stew, lentils in a stew. It's just like really gross to me. I just think, ugh. But then what if it was attractive? You know, when you're hungry, you're like, anything looks good. What's that noise? I just ignore it. What is it? Okay. Maybe I just like set a picture and I'll go, whoa. But lentil stew. But I think in a moment of tiredness, in a moment of weakness, we do get hungry. And we start to look somewhere else and we start to feel entitled, entitled ungrateful. We start to blame shift. We start to think, okay, God, you gave me a really stink mum. Like seriously, I look at other people's mothers, they're not as dysfunctional. Why did you give me this manipulative woman? There's so many excuses we could make. There's so many excuses we could make, like God, this is what you prophesied. But we have no right to feel entitled we have no right to treat the blessing, our inheritance that God's given us, the grace. We have no right to treat God's grace as rubbish. There's a scripture in Romans that talks about, Romans 6, that says, you know, because of his wonderful grace, doesn't mean this is the Kathy version, doesn't mean that we sin again, no. We don't sin again because his grace isn't there to be like, okay, Dr. Phil, you know, I've sinned, but can you just like fix me? That's not what God's grace is all about. We don't deserve his grace, but it's available to us. Ungrateful people are never satisfied. Ungrateful people are entitled. 
Ungrateful people can get bitter and they can play the role of the victim. Like, it's not my fault. This was my lot in life. And sometimes it's really hard to talk to people like that because they're selfish. I have been there. I know last year we had a really tough year and I said, God, can you just give me a window of like anger? Because I've had a really bad year. So can I just, you know, like, vomit, And I remember going to God's word and he just said this to me, Kathy, you need to be thankful. You need to celebrate. You know, as much as I get annoyed at some of the flags, Tongan flags, I love the Tongan flags, but some of them are a hazard on the motorway. I've seen them fly out of the windows and it's because I'm a little bit jealous because, you know, Tonga went a bit further than um, Samoa, but, you know, I forgive you guys. But this was a wake-up call because I just think to myself, I can be like Esau. I can have Esau syndrome because I think about all the different syndromes and, you know, things that people are labeled these days. I think there should be one called the Esau syndrome where you just take for granted what you have and you start to treat it like it's nothing. You're apathetic. You're indifferent. And that just annoys the heck out of me because I know that sometimes in my moment of anger, I've traded in my peace for anger and then I've regretted it. I've traded in my stress and I've traded in, you know, I've, I've just traded in, traded in my joy for stress. I've traded in, uh, yeah, when I've been stressful, I've just been like, okay, I need his peace. But usually, sometimes it's easier to be angry. And God's just saying to me, you know what? Is it worth it? For me, my lentil stew is my short fuse. And... Uh, you know, when I think about social media, I'm like, okay, Kathy, you need to calm down, you know? You need to calm down behind the keyboard because I'm like, oh, 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 there's so many things I could write. And I remember saying this to people like, I need to have another name, another Facebook account so no one knows it's me. And I thought of Matthew Kunk, but then people would know it was me, like a different version of me. It's like, Kathy, just stop being stupid. Don't trade in your peace. Don't trade in your calmness, if that's a word, for arguments on social media. This is like, oh, it's not worth it. But if you start to touch my faith, I'm like, okay. I need some wisdom. So I need to be wise and not eat fries. <laughs> so anyway, here's some scriptures just to help because we need the word of God. I know there's no scriptures up there, but we'll just put it up there. Reasons to be thankful. Number one, he is the source. I love the scripture. First Corinthians 4, 7 it says, for what gives you the right to make a judgment? What do you have that God hasn't given you? 
And if everything you have is from God, why boast though it were not a gift? Why boast? It was a gift. First Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, it says, always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Ephesians 5.20 says, Always giving thanks to God, the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Always be content. Philippians 4.11-13, it says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned whatever situation I am I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And here's another challenge. Philippians 2.14, do everything without complaining and arguing. So when it comes to social media, I'm like, is it worth the argument? Put down the fries. First Timothy 6, 6 says, now there is a great gain in godliness with contentment. Oh, I didn't even finish that scripture. I just put that down anyway. Proverbs 14, 30 says, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. And I just want to finish with this. It says, don't be selfish. Don't live to make a good impression on others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't just think about your own affairs. You see, ungrateful people think about their own affairs. It's like, I'm too busy to even talk to you. Man, I'm so stressed out. You know, you don't know what my week's like. And I can understand that. There's wisdom in prioritizing your week. But don't just be like, head down, eyes to the ground. I can't even think about other people's problems. And there are boundaries. But what it's saying is, but be interested in others too and in what they're doing. Don't you hate it when you're in a conversation with someone and they just talk about themselves? And you're like, are you going to ask anything about me? You know, you're kind of like standing there going, how do I? And they're like, you know, and they start talking. And I don't know, I've done this before, you know, because I'm like, oh, yeah, I did this and I did that. And they're just standing there going, what about me? (laughs) It isn't fair. (laughs) You know, I've been in that situation before where I've just thought, okay, I don't want to talk to you anymore. You just talk about yourself. And I've, I've done that before. But don't just be concerned with your own affairs. Start to ask people questions. Oh, okay, what do you do? That's always a good start. What's your name? That's always a good one too. (laughs) How to be a friend, 101. Hey, how are you? Look at them in the eyes. I came from a family where it was rude to look people in the eyes. I used to look up (laughs) or look down. And I remember Bruce, you know, my father-in-law, he would say, Kathy, you need to look people in the eyes when you talk to them. I'm like, really? (laughs) I said, look, I was taught, you know, in my culture, you don't look people in the eyes, it's really rude. And he said, well, in my culture, it's rude not to look them in the eyes. 
So I was like, oh, okay, this is crazy because, you know, I've got a lazy eye. Like, where do I go? Where do I go from here? You know what I tell people, you know, when I share my testimony of what I was like as a kid? I had to wear an eye patch, you know, from the age of seven. And uh, I know, yeah, I got bullied a lot. It was good for me. But um, I remember, you know, I had the patching and thick glasses and I had this lazy eye. And I used to use it as an excuse. I'd be like, I just use my bad eyesight. If I can't, you know, if I see someone, I just pretend I just can't see them. And God really challenged me on that. He's like, your eyesight's not that bad. Don't be too concerned with yourself. Take yourself not so seriously, you know? We are going through stuff and we do have stuff, but that's why we have a community of people here. You know, I think about all the friends that I have in this church and I think back in high school, you wouldn't be my friends, eh? Like we wouldn't be friends like in real life, like if this was, you know, real life. It is real life. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying, like, would you be friends with an eye patch girl? I don't know. Would you? Would you stand up for her? I hope so. You know, I laugh at this because I think about the different cultures we have in this church. I love the fact that we're not just all Polynesian. I love the fact that we're not, not all just white. I love the fact that we're of many colours, many nations. I think that brings colour to a church. It brings freedom. It brings joy. And that's why, you know, don't be too concerned with your own affairs, but start to look around. You never know what God is saying through that other person. I love the fact that we're all different, but yet we're the same because we have this, this Saviour and His name is Jesus. And I am so thankful for our Saviour. Hebrews 13, 5, 6, it says, Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. Close your eyes right now. I just want you to think about what you have. Maybe you're married or you're single. Now, someone said to me, oh, I don't like it when you talk about single people. Isn't it funny when you're single, you want to be married and when you're married, <laughs> you don't want to be single, but you look, at, you look back and you go, wow, that was before we had kids, when we had time, you know? when we could laugh for like 10 minutes and not be interrupted. You know, the single life. When you think about a single number, you think it's complete. And there's something complete about who you are in Jesus. When you're married, you know, that's awesome too. And don't take each other for granted but appreciate every season. In every season, I will give you thanks. In every situation, I will give you thanks. You know, the first place I went to when my father passed away was church. I remember he died on a Sunday morning. It was one o'clock in the morning. And Sam said to me, do you want to stay home? 
I was grieving. My dad was like my best friend. I love my dad. His faith was strong in Jesus. And when he passed away, it was a big shock to me. And Sam said, do you want to go to church? And I said, of course I do. That's the first place I would go to. So don't isolate yourself in this place. Don't think I've got no friends. You got me. I can be busy at times, but you got me. You got me. You got, look, there's some faces out there. They're called people. You got them too. You've got a family. Don't ever feel like you're alone. And there are moments when we go through grief. There are moments when we go through pain that we start to isolate ourselves and draw back and think no one knows how I feel. That's why you don't get interested in your own life and you get caught up in your own affairs. You start to talk to people and you hear their story and you start to hear, well, actually my, my dad passed away too. I understand how you're feeling. Or there's maybe people, yeah, I totally get what it's like to be single. It sucks. You know, you start to talk to people and then they start to encourage you. And they go, but yeah, we'll pray. We'll pray. If you want to get married, we'll pray. You start to talk to people and you start to get the heart of who they are. I was so encouraged, you know, coming into church. When my dad passed away, people ministered to me. They said, Kathy, you're not alone. And I felt alone, but yet they were surrounding me and they said, come on, we're with you. That was 20 years ago. 20 years ago, I think about the family of God. I think about all the brothers and sisters I, I didn't know I had. Like you guys are pretty good looking for my family, you know? So pat yourselves on the back for that. But I just want to say the reason why we're here is that the only one who can fulfill that need is Jesus. He is the firstborn. It says in Colossians 1.15, in the New American Standard Version, it says that He, Jesus, is the firstborn. And the Greek translation for that is He is the priority one. And when I think about that, every time I think about, okay, what, what am I thankful for? I'm thankful for a good husband who loves Jesus. I'm thankful for three daughters who love Jesus. I'm thankful that they're healthy. I'm thankful even in times when I haven't got it right, that I go to Jesus. I'm thankful for the, you know, times when Sam and I have had arguments, we go to Jesus. We don't go to Oprah. We don't go to, you know, I don't know. We, we don't go to, I'm just gonna go to my friend. Sometimes that's okay, but there is no one better than Jesus. When you've had an argument, when you've had like the worst ever week, go to Jesus first. He is your first point of call, Jesus. And that's what, what I want to encourage you young people in here. As a teenager, I would go by myself and I would sit there and I would read my Bible and I'd say, Jesus, can you talk to me? Can you just show me your truth? And He will. So I just wanna encourage you tonight. He is my priority and He is your priority because you were His. That's the reason why He died on that cross 
three days, He rose again. But it's never too late. Even if you've traded in whatever it is for that lentil stew, it's never too late. Because you know why? We have a Saviour who died for you and His precious blood covers you. It covers you. So you can go and say, I'm sorry, Jesus. I need you right now. He loves you. I need to go out south, but bless you. I just pray that God will speak to you tonight. Come on, let's choose Jesus.